Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Avakind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter at avakind.com, where you can also buy our book, Work Wife. Um, and hey, if you want to leave us voicemails, that's 833-OF-A-KIND. We love questions. We love comments. All of it. You know what else I've been really loving lately? Tell me. This Binu Binu scrub mitt that we saw on the site. Ooh. You've yeah. Been, yeah I, you love a scrub in general. I do. And I think that I've been into lately something that's not like a... A product um, mm, that's, that's like not, got that's like, got like a, gunky stuff yeah. in it. I mm-hmm. like something that just that leaves know. it on the floor of your uh, shower. Yes, yes, that's the main issue, really. That's really that why you have coffee grinds in your shower. <laughs> yeah, drain. and then you're yeah. like trying to splash the outer corner <laughs> of so your tub so that you yeah. can get the coffee grinds to, to encourage them down the drain. That's right. With this scrub mitt, you mm-hmm. don't even have to do that. That's can you wonderful. believe it? Wow, saves you a good thirty seconds. So you and, use like, this with your bar soap. Well, here's what you do. You wash your body. There are instructions mm-hmm. with it. You okay. wash your body, and then once you're clean, you just oh. do this on a clean body is the idea. Does it ever um, make you itchy afterwards? Not this thing, okay. no. Um, and this thing is uh, made from plant fiber, um, and it is ins- it is like mm. a Korean-style scrub mitt. I've never done the Korean spa thing. Yeah, You've I. never done the Korean spa no. thing. We've never had our bodies like fully exfoliated down I to did. baby seal skin. When we went to f- on family vacation in Turkey when I was in high school, I once had somebody like seriously... A, a make use a very abrasive something on my body, but that's the closest I've ever come. Yeah, never. Yeah, we've never fully done this, but I think yeah. you know this is the closest we've gotten, and I highly encourage it. Also, this thing is like cream and pretty and looks uh, cute in your shower. Yeah, it's just not. It's not. It's not calling attention to itself. It's not lavender and made of plastic. Correct. Great, and that's another ideal. Another ideal. Also thing about ideal. It. It's ten percent off with the code. A few things. Wonderful. Um. So I've recently you. 
I, I think you know that I've recently signed a contract as a poster child for peeing my pants. Yeah, no, totally. Um, um, I shared that news the official with you spokes, <laughs> official spokesperson yes. of peeing your pants. Um, as part of this journey, I also signed up for pelvic floor physical therapy. Which, you know, once you are able to not pee your pants anymore, you will the not. contract is up. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I think, keep that in mind. <laughs> but, well, listen, I think, you know, luckily for my bank account, I have a ways to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I It has been a very interesting and at times frustrating journey, journey thus far. Mm-hmm. It's been a pee my pants journey. My mom also gets so annoyed that I say pee my pants. She's like, it's not grammatically correct. I'm like, that it's a it's that's not what it is. Okay. Um <laughs> I'm gonna continue to say it that way. Um I have learned so much from this woman who is helping me um fix my pelvic floor. So most people when they say when they think I think most people's sort of understanding of incontinence and pelvic floor stuff is basically to do kegels, right? Yeah to like squeeze your pelvic floor like you're trying to stop a stream of pee and then let it go. Yep. Um so and and I've like bought various um tools to We've try to about help this. Yes, we talked about the LV, etc. Exactly. Um what I have learned is that that like squeezing is not really my problem that I have I have a decent amount of strength down there. It's more of the releasing that's an issue for me. And basically, I just don't have flexibility. You can hold, you can't let go. That's right. (laughs) And actually, yeah, you know what? It adds up. Well, so that's what (laughs) that's the conversations that that I've been having with my pelvic floor physical therapist where she's like, she's constantly like, it's all just like part of this like type A personality you've got going on. (laughs) And like, you're just like a tight person. And that's what's happening down there. And she's like, my pelvic floor myself. That's right. (laughs) She's like, it all tracks because she and I are also locked in this sort of struggle around. She's like, you need to stop doing all of these really tightening exercises like for your core and stuff because that is just making it worse. You and need you more need, like stretching. You and... need, exactly. She's like, you need to be able to open up and you need back strength. She's like, your core is too, is really tight and your back has no strength. So you're just so like, you like everything hunched in, forward. hunched yeah. in. And um, it's been, I feel like I am learning so much about my pelvic floor. What do you and, know? So, okay, well, one thing is that obviously it's all connected, right, to your diaphragm. And I feel like for the longest time people talked about diaphragmatic breathing and it made no sense to me. And the thing that finally sort of did it for me is that she was like, think of it as sort of like an open and a closed umbrella. So when you breathe in and you fill your diaphragm with air, the umbrella goes out. And then when you breathe out and you're sort of pulling everything in and sort of, and you want to pull your pelvic floor into the umbrella sort of closing up and in. So it's um, like, where's the umbrella? So the umbrellas, so a lot of people compare it to a jellyfish, your diaphragm to a jellyfish too. So that's another well, way to I, think about I it. I want to stick with the umbrella. Yeah. I'm too confused. I, I understand. I, I like the umbrella a lot better too, but it's basically, it's like in your like midsection. Okay. So it's pointing down. Um, where's the umbrella no, handle? The um, the umbrella handle is down by your vagina, basically. Okay. And if you want to, so think if you of, shove a vagina, <laughs> yeah. uh, an umbrella up there, that's that's exactly right. Great, that helps. Yes. Okay. okay. So when you when you breathe in, you want your um, diaphragm to expand, right? So you want to feel your rib cage and your sides expand. So the umbrella is opening, opening up, right? And you also want to op- like breathe into your back and like yeah. breathe. You want to breathe three sixty. That's at right. At least in yoga, you or in uh, Pilates, Pilates, you do. Yeah, so, you want yeah. the whole thing. And as that's happening, it's pushing your pelvic floor down. Mm-hmm. And then when you breathe out. We're, we're breathing in here. We're doing the whole thing. The umbrella sort of goes up and your pelvic floor goes up too with it. Your pelvic floor in this example is, is beneath that, your diaphragm. But is that little ring basically in the umbrella? You yeah. know what I mean? That yeah. holds the spokes. I think that's probably yeah, right. Because it's moving yeah. up and down, right? I think that's, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So that's helped me a lot. And just I've had to relearn how to breathe completely, which I think you know a lot of people do when they start doing exercise stuff. So that's been a big thing. Um, I'm learning... You know, pelvic floor physical therapy in general, I'm learning, is just 
a whole thing that in other countries, France, for example, are is totally standard and a sort of expected routine um, after having a baby. And here it just is more of a rarity. It's hard to find them in, even in New York City. Um, and it's a whole thing they get, you know, they go in there with their hands and they're massaging stuff and like sort of working out tighter muscles and um, like feeling inside your vagina and like even more so in a lot of ways than uh, I think an OB ever has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or a gynecologist. Um it is like any form of physical therapy. They give you all these really tedious um, exercises to do. And they're like, you have to do this for five minutes a day, every day. What but do you have there's to do? like 20 of them. I have to massage all of the scar tissue down there to mm-hmm. like loosen that up. I have to do these breathing exercises. I have to put a lacrosse ball like in this area, like in my, like under my butt basically and massage that out. Huh. I have to do a lot of like back stretching and back strengthening exercises. Um there's a couple of um, just like basic sort of like yoga slash Pilates like things to do. Um, those are sort of the main ones. She also recently she was like, I'd like you to buy a vibrator to try to like. It's a lot. It's like it's a whole thing. <laughs> you could spend your life doing this. Exactly. I mostly and just then want- you'd lose. And then at the end of it, you'd lose your Peter Pants contract. That's you know? right. And then, right. And then I lose this lucrative contract as the Peter Pants spokesperson. Um, but I mostly just wanted to share because I didn't know anything about any of this, and I feel like I've learned so much. And in general, like I think people know that pelvic floor physical therapy is a thing, but don't really know sort of what it entails. Um, so it's been an interesting journey. I'll let you know when my contract is up. Oh my gosh, people want yeah, to know. Exactly. Should we bring our guests on? Yes, let's do it. Um, we've got work wives for our guests oh today. Oh my gosh, two very impressive ones. Two very impressive what. ones. We have Anu Dugal and Sutian Dong who are heading things up at Female Founders Fund. Um, we are so excited to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. We really wish you existed when we were doing our fundraising. But we're um, so glad you exist. Yeah, yeah, for the rest of the rest of the world now. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us. Tell us what you guys do. Sure. So uh, this is Anu. And um, so Female Founders Fund is an early stage fund investing in technology companies started Mm -hmm. by women. I started the fund in 2014 Mm -hmm. after going through the fundraising process myself and recognizing that um, there were clearly things that needed to change. Yeah, Um, for sure. Some things. Yeah. Yeah. Small things. And so started the the fund in in 2014 and um the first fund was a small 5.85 million dollar fund okay. invested in companies like Zola, Tala, Primary Kids, Eloqui, uh Maven Clinic and um and I as I was thinking about the next stage of growth which in in the venture fund <clears throat> world is raising another fund knew I wanted to bring on a partner who came from the from the industry mm-hmm. and so we met on Mumble. <laughs> we like to joke that we met on uh, one one of these uh, swiping dating apps, but um, I, I do think a partnership is very much like like a marriage. Yeah. And so most recently to, to Female Founders Fund, I um, was at a shop in New York, another VC fund in New York called First Mark Capital, who I know you two mm-hmm. yes. are familiar with. Yes. Uh, and it was there that I saw the um, sort of the other side of the table of what Anu was describing that, yes, it was hard for female founders to raise capital. And as somebody who's doing mostly Series A investing, it was hard for me to do anything um, with female founders because they had trouble raising their first They weren't even getting to Series A. Exactly. It was, I mean, the pipeline had had narrowed pretty dramatically Mm -hmm. by that point. And so we we were introduced... um, through one of our LPs, Ed Zimmerman, and, and started working together 
Uh, I joined at the start of, let's see, 2016. So for uh, a little over three years now, which sounds, you know, feels, it feels longer, both longer and shorter, if, mm-hmm. you, if, you, if you both know what I mean. Um, but we, what we do is we invest in early stage companies founded by women um, with this idea that the world is changing mm-hmm. and that the people starting companies uh, who will go on to scale and massively, you know, redefine new industries, yeah. just look very different than what they did in the past. Yeah. yeah. Anu, when you said that you had had experience fundraising and you saw problems, I feel like it was so obvious to everybody in this room what those problems are. But for someone who hasn't gone through the process of fundraising, can you describe the issues that you saw? Sure. Um, so I think there's a couple things that are are important to point out. So um, firstly, you know, taking a step back and just looking at the macro environment, um, most investors or many investors are really looking to identify patterns. So mm-hmm. they're looking to back uh, profiles that they feel um, kind of mimic or um, or look very much like other successful entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And when you think about um, female entrepreneurs for for the last, you know, call it 10 years, there have been few examples of women who've gone to have, you know, billion dollar outcomes, large unicorn unicorns, uh, yeah. exits. Yeah. Um, and so I would say, you know, that would be reason number one, right? Mm-hmm. Investors are really looking to invest in something they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and and then I would say secondly, you know, when you look at the investing landscape and the the profile of typical investors, it started to change, you know, in the last, call it 12 to 18 months. But um, everyone we pitched was male. Yeah. And, you know, we were pitching a company that was catering to the female consumer with a with a team that was predominantly female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these investors didn't understand, I think, the market opportunity in the same way that I think, um, you know, other female investors would. Um, and so, so I think that you know that that's on the investing side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as as a female founder, what we've seen is that you know the businesses that we're backing are very often female founders that are addressing opportunities or problems that they face in their day to day lives as yeah. consumers or in the workplace. And so, you know, they're they're tapping into huge market opportunities, as Sutian said. Um, but, you know, their profile is just very different to mm-hmm. what we've seen in the past. And so I think, you know, when I started the fund, the idea was that we're at a very pivotal point and things are going to start to look very different. And I think, you know, in the last, I think it was about a month ago that New York saw two female unicorns mm-hmm. in one week. Yeah, right the runway and Glossier. Yeah, huge. first time ever. Huge, huge. Huge. Yeah. huge for the ecosystem. So yeah. all those people, you know, who said, you know, there's no tech happening in New York, female right. founders haven't seen any unicorns, like things are really starting to change. And what do you, what, what does a venture capitalist do? Like, how are you different than if I just loaned money to somebody? Um, or how are you different <laughs> or how are you different than like private equity or yeah. like what, what makes venture capital venture capital? Yeah. So that's, that's a great question. So, so venture capital is, is technically part of private equity, yeah. right? Uh, what a venture capital firm does is that they invest money, um, equity. So they take per, uh, ownership of companies mm-hmm. at, various stages of a company's growth, but typically with the idea that the money that they invest in a business will be used to grow the business Mm -hmm. versus buying founders out, restructuring the company, et cetera. And venture capitalists are long-term capital partners uh, with companies, which means that, you know, I'll I'll use us as an example. We invest at the seed stage, so typically the first institutional round of financing that a company raises with the idea that we will continue to invest in these companies as they scale, as they build their business, and eventually – 
um, make money when the founders make money. So at exit, whether that exit is an IPO or an M&A transaction. And so it's it's different from other forms of financing, which, uh, you know, could be, um, Claire, as you mentioned, could be debt, for mm-hmm. example, yep. or um, taking taking private equity, uh, which is typically a combination of both debt and um, and and equity. But uh, but for for VC VCs are not just hopefully are not just mm-hmm. capital partners, right. right? But thought partners and and play important roles in helping companies scale. Per- by providing the network, the um, the resources, the community uh, that founders can tap into. So how do you think about being a partner in those ways to the companies that you invest in? How do you think about furthering the business as opposed to providing just the capital component? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, as an operator, um, from day one, the fund has always been about not just capital. Yep. Um, and I and I think there is so much more of an opportunity to create a broader ecosystem that provides value in a way that really hasn't been done, particularly for the female founder ecosystem. So there's a couple of different ways in which we do that. Um, we run, you know, between 40 to 50 events a year. Mm. And those are primarily targeted at our founders, but then also open to some of the events are open to, you know, the larger tech community. And um, and these events range from quarterly press dinners where we have off the record dinners with journalists and founders mm-hmm. to you know Instagram office hours to a whole host of different events that are really about how do we continue to add value post funding mm-hmm. yeah and um so i would say that's number 1 mm-hmm. number 2 you know as a ceo you're doing really three main things you're hiring setting a vision and making sure there's money in the bank yep mm-hmm. um and making sure the money in, in the bank is, is is i think key um, so on the financing side, you know, post making investment, we will sit down with the founder and really help her map out what what she needs to get to to get to a Series A, yeah, and make the introductions that are um, are required to you know kind of figure build out that like roadmap, yeah, yeah. and yeah. also to build the relationships yeah. before yeah, you yeah, fundraise, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then walk her through the deck, you know, go through pitching with her. Again, do kind of back channeling, so so really ensure that that process runs smoothly, and then I think on the hiring and and also press side, those are two areas where um, I think you know we've been we've been super helpful. What does uh, for people who haven't gone through this experience, what does a pitch deck look like? What should it convey? So a pitch deck should be the skeleton that helps you tell your story, right? A pitch deck um, is the materials that you can use when you when you tell the sort of obviously when you pitch an investor and then the materials that will typically remain with an investor after you leave the things that are important to to convey in a pitch deck in no particular order include um, team the size and opportunity that you're targeting in the market what you're building right the solution so your platform product your competitive differentiation what makes it special um the um the, the growth trajectory of the company. So what you're going to do after this um, uh, this this round of financing is raised. Uh, and then uh, I'm, I think I'm missing a couple of, of pieces. So a new fill-in. Yeah, um, so the um, why the product is special yeah. and unique compared to what else is in mm-hmm. the market. And then unit economics, mm-hmm. very important. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. understanding, you know, what are the levers in terms of um, margin structure, mm-hmm. in terms of scale, um, that will kind of define your your success ultimately over time. 
And for us, you know, we invest so early, we we really invest in founders, right? Mm-hmm. And so that team piece of it is key. The company will change over time as companies scale, mm-hmm. like the thing that you thought you were going to do, the thing that you ultimately end up scaling with will look a little bit different. But the people for us, we're hoping that the people are the the people that will stay with the company over time, right? And the founders will be able to evolve their vision and hire the right team to um, to really execute against the opportunity they see. So one of the sort of ideas that I have about venture capital is that companies that um, take on venture capital should be ones that can scale in a really big way and that they're, they should be able to grow, you know, leaps and bounds. And why is that? Is that accurate? And if so, why? Yeah. So um, so what a lot of people don't often think about, it's a great question, is that um, VCs also raise money. Mm-hmm. And so we raise money from a group of investors called Limited Partners. LPs. Yeah. LPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about what we promise our investors, it's very similar to what an entrepreneur is, is promising their VCs. And so um, so typically when you think about what what will dictate success for for a uh, for a venture fund, it's really about hitting certain targets. Mm-hmm. And so what we think about as a team is every time we make an investment, does this company have the potential to return the fund? That's right. kind mm-hmm. of the lingo that we yeah. use, right? So mm-hmm. can it scale fast over a period of time? Um, that will enable us to either, you know, the company will either go public or, or or get acquired and enable us to then return capital to our investors. Right. Um, and so, you know, for, for us, there's definitely businesses that we meet that are great businesses, but ultimately the founder and the investor have to be aligned in mm-hmm. terms of the scale, um, the pace of growth, and ultimately the outcome that they're looking for. So, um, it's an important thing for for founders to think about, right? Because you can build a great business, but are you do you want to sign up for this ride? Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, when you think about pace of growth, what kind of time frame are you thinking about? So, from you know, I, I guess the the real answer is it depends. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pinterest, uh, they took um, ten years roughly to to IPO. Yeah. And so that's not. That's not uncommon. I think the idea for so, and going back to news point of funds, when we raise funds, their funds are are ten year, okay, um, are ten year funds, which means that we are expecting that the majority of things that we invest in early in that fund life will be able to see exits before within the fund. that ten yes, years, okay. yeah. within that yeah, ten yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And so the cycle is somewhere. You know, we're we're looking for outcomes somewhere between four to seven years with the very large, you know, uni- unicorn plus outcomes. Mm-hmm. It typically takes longer because it takes longer to grow that size of. Company, yeah. but um, but the the goal is, and and the goal for all the companies that we invest in is that over some period, some finite period of time, they will be looking to achieve a liquidity outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the risks of taking venture capital for an entrepreneur? Like I said earlier, taking venture capital means that you are signing up for a particular path. Yeah. And when you look at the statistics, um, to be successful as an entrepreneur is already hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and when you add on the layer of, you know, venture return expectations, it it's even harder. Yeah. And so what you have to recognize is that, you know, you may not find immediate product market fit. You may need to raise more capital than you expected. You may get more diluted than you, 
initially thought you would. So you'd have less equity ultimately. Yes, you would own less equity. Um, And ultimately your company may fail and, you know, you may not be able to return capital to to investors. So those are the risks and, you know, things to think about before you take VC. Do you assume a certain percentage of the companies that you invest in are not going to have a liquidity outcome? We do. Yeah. We think, I mean, a typical typical fund um, at, at seed would be about a third, a third, a third. And okay. so a third don't return capital, a third return the capital that we've invested uh-huh. plus some. And then the what returns our fund, right, m- yeah. many times over is hopefully that remaining third, which do incredibly well in the market. Yeah. And and so going back to um, your, your earlier question, Eric, another thing for, for entrepreneurs to consider is this is – a helpful exercise is sort of to ask themselves the question before they take venture yeah. any sort of um, financing where they're giving up equity is well would I rather own um, would I rather have a entire cupcake or a piece of pie right? yeah right. and so when you give up equity you're giving up control and you will give up more control and more equity of the company over time as you raise more money to scale the business and there's no right or wrong answer yeah. and some people may say hey I want a hundred percent of this company I'm going to build a little bit more slowly or I am perfectly happy with 15% ultimately of a company that I raise a lot of money for to scale over time. What sort of sort of like skills or frameworks do you guys employ to identify what is going to be a potentially very big business? So I think, um, you know, similar to to a a whole host of other venture funds, um, it comes down to a few key um, characteristics mm-hmm. that we look for. So, you know, starting with founder, mm-hmm. our founding team. Um, obviously, when you're investing pre-launch, I think that tends to be the most it's kind important. of all you have. To yeah, it's all you have. Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. you have. Yeah. You're investing in people. Yeah. Um, and so, when you think about what we look for in that team or, or person, um, it's it's a couple of things. So, number one, um, do they have a track record of success? Mm-hmm. So, have they in their professional um, career demonstrated that they have overperformed yeah. um, and and done that consistently over time. Number two would be why is this person or team uniquely qualified to address this particular mm-hmm. market opportunity? What what unique insights do they have, experience do they have that has been that reflects that they'll outperform? Um, then okay. I would say number three, we we think a lot about resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you're faced with many obstacles on a daily basis. So what have you gone through from a personal, professional perspective that demonstrates mm. that you have that capacity? Number three, um, do you have the ability to sell? So that sounds... Um, a little bit strange, but ultimately, as an entrepreneur or a CEO, you're selling all day long. You're yeah, selling yeah, to yeah, yeah. Potential employees. You're selling to, you know, your investor base. You're selling to advisors. You're mm-hmm. selling to your customers. Um, so, can you very concisely articulate why your product or service is unique in a way that is convincing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would say that that covers, you know, the team or the founders, the yeah. characteristics yeah. that we care about. Then in addition, a market size, right? Mm-hmm. So we want you to be thinking about a market or approaching a market that A, is in need of a disruption, um, B, that is very large, mm-hmm. so that you know even if you get to 1% of that market, you're building a very large and significant business. Mm-hmm. And then I would say number three, you know, it's it's really that special sauce. So I often say that, you know, there's some founders where you leave the meeting and you just can't stop thinking about yeah. them. Yeah. And you're thinking about ways in which you can add value, mm-hmm. you know, other 
revenue streams along the way. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's just one of those things where you can't, you keep going back to to why this is a compelling opportunity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's intangible, but yeah. I think definitely um, plays a role in our decision making. I don't know if I... Going, going back to the, the founder and the founding team, it really is this sort of the special sauce or superpower, right? I think mm -hmm. with every single company, there's a set, set of levers that you push and pull to uh, drive a business forward. Yep. And um, with certain founders, they have this skill set or they've built the skill set over time where they can, they're uniquely suited to push those levers faster, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And those are the types of people that we want to invest in behind. It's very hard to find somebody who's great at everything. Almost sure. impossible, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And so what we're looking for are people who are really, really excellent at a couple of things that we think are really, really important to that business. Yeah. Um, how are you sourcing the companies that you invest in? How are you getting that information and just even staying on top of what types of businesses yeah. might make sense for yours to invest in? It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to give you a sense of um, of our funnel. Yeah. So um, it's grown significantly over time. Yeah. Um, but on an annual basis, you know, we look at we through our funnel, you know, kind of starts at the top at about three thousand companies. Well, wow. mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I think you know when when you look at the six to eight investments that we make a year, yeah. uh, majority of them actually come from introductions through our own founders. Hmm. And one of the things that you may not know is um, actually a lot of the founders that we invested in invested in our second fund. That's cool. Yeah. That's, that's really, really amazing. Investors in us. Yeah, that's really special. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's really created this kind of virtuous cycle yeah. where um, they feel like they're a part of our success. Yeah, yeah, they're part of the family. They're part of the family. Mm -hmm. They've gone through the experience. They can speak truly and authentically to the value that we think we're adding. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's been a really powerful part of our um, deal flow. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, when we were going through fundraising ourselves and, you know, would get introductions to investors or um, have a potential interest, we would do a lot of vetting of investors because that's, I think, something people, you know, in the very beginning, we didn't really know to yeah. even think to do. Yeah. They're like, no, of but course, you need to ask about yeah. these people who you're getting into bed with in this way. Mm -hmm. And the way we would do it was by going to other founders. And 100%. you'd hear a lot of... there stopped be like, us from making some serious mistakes or just oh, yeah. wasting a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. Um can you guys tell us about some companies that you're really excited about, whether or not they are portfolio companies of yours? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, uh, a company that recently announced their seed round um, in, in the New York Times is a company that we we preceded called CoStar. So CoStar mm -hmm. is an astrology app. Um, we put it in 10 things some, some time ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we, we love the team. And so we actually met the team um, very early on in their process of building uh, building the business. They had all three of them work together at V-Files, which mm -hmm. is this fashion tech company here in New York. And um, we're, we're all personally interested in astrology, but interested in astrology, not in the you know, like one eight hundred Miss Cleo mm -hmm. uh, type of no consumption. No offense to Miss Cleo, right? No I mean. offense to Miss Cleo. Big, you know, great business there, but uh, in in a way that I think the current generation is consuming yeah. astrology, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a language that helps you understand where who you are, where you stand in the world, and how you relate to other people. Yeah. It's and, also a really beautiful app, and it's such a good experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the the product experience was something that we were we were pretty blown away mm -hmm. by, yeah. and thought it looked very different, felt very different than it's real um, chic. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an elevated experience, yeah. <laughs> and and so for us, I mean, the the company has scaled tremendously since we invested. Um, and what's been what's been exciting is that um, I think this is one of the themes that we've identified this this wave of um, alternatives to um, 
to to the decline of organized religion. Mm. And we're not saying that astrology is religion, but mm-hmm. I think astrology takes the place of a lot of some of the things that um, organized religion used to provide, which yeah. is not just um, communion with God, uh, but it's the the search for community, right? Yeah. Understanding of self, um, belonging with other people. A and sense of some sort of outside power that is greater than you in exactly, some way. Yeah. Exactly. And so for us, uh, it's been great to see that um, initial thesis, right, that mm-hmm. that led us to the investment in CoStar really manifest in its um, in its growth and, and warm reception uh, in the market. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so I would say... Um, the company that that I'm excited about right now, it actually hasn't launched yet, so even more exciting, oh my gosh. Um, is called The Wonder. Mm-hmm. It's um, a, think of it as a, a private space for families. And um, and it is, you know, I think going back to Sutian's point, you know, the, the rise of the alternate community, yeah. um, you know, which, which I think for me means that you're seeing people connect based on interests yeah. as well. Um, so creating these ways online and offline to um, to be a part of something bigger than you, but connected to people who who share that same belief. And so the wonder is a so it's a members club for families, um, really really speaking to the modern family in a way yep. I think hasn't been done before mm-hmm. from a programming perspective. It's not like a country club vibe. It's, it's definitely like not a country something. club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, uh, birthday space for birthday parties, yep. kids programming, adults only, you know, bar area cafe that's family friendly um, and really thinking about original programming in a way that really hasn't been done before for kids and I think that this has potential to to scale around the country yeah um, and to just recreate what that family experience looks and feels like whether you know think about family trips that you could organize I mean there's so many ways to expand the yeah business. yeah yeah of course um, so so we're excited to see how everyone responds when they open next week it's really exciting. I follow them on Instagram. Oh, cool. Nice work, Claire. Good work. <laughs> um, so uh, I feel like over the last 10 years or so since we started Of A Kind, the way that um, startups and funding are talked about in media has shifted a lot. And I mm-hmm. think there's this sense that as just a consumer who's out there in the world, um, you're supposed to understand fundraising or have some sense of it because you see that you know this brand that you follow and love just raised its like Series B round. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just... Give a little bit of context around, you know, seed, series A, series yeah. B, or sort of where companies are in those trajectories, because I would have no idea if mm-hmm. I didn't go through this. Yeah, or, no, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, for so fundraising follows cycles, right? Yeah. Or series. And so uh, when companies first go out to raise capital, um, they typically raise an angel or friends and family round, which is like, as it sounds, money you raise from your friends, family. Or angels. Uh, or angels. Or an actual angel. <laughs> from the sky, yes. Um, so angels in um, in our industry are individuals who are high net worth, mm-hmm. who um, have uh, are investing their own capital into companies. Rich people. Yes, rich people. Um, <laughs> Sometimes not. Yeah. Or but people who at least yeah. prioritize yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, people, um, and, and those are really network-driven introductions that founders get. So it's, again, people you know or friends of friends or your old coworkers or whoever they may, your old boss, right, who mm-hmm. believe in you and are investing in you. Uh, the next round of financing that a company typically raises is the series seed, which is where we come in. Um, and so we, female 
co-founders when we like to lead or co-lead series seeds, which means that we take the the lead position or the um, the position on the investor side that negotiates the terms, sets the terms with the founder and the company, uh, and, and sort of serves as the the proxy for the rest of the other yep. investors. So that, that you're not in. talking to so people aren't talking to sixteen people, people at once, exactly. Right. Okay. And beyond that, you raise in series. So you raise your series A, series B, series C, and as you may expect, <laughs> the um, the uh, the goalposts keep moving, right? So mm-hmm. the um, the KPIs change and the um, the numbers that you need to be at, whether they're revenue numbers or user growth numbers, uh, change with each subsequent round of financing. About and- how big are each of those rounds? So, I mean, the interesting thing is that, you know, <laughs> going back to your question, uh, things have evolved so much. And I think that from a sizing perspective, you know, a seed round used to be 500K. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now two and a half million. Mm-hmm. Um, a series A can now look like 25 million and typically used to be, you know, between five to seven million. So I think the best way to think about it is is really um, that your next round will be bigger than your last. Yep. Um, and that there are certain metrics. Um, so certain, to Sue Chen's point, certain KPIs that you need to hit to get to that next round of financing. So on average, you know, what we see in our portfolio is a seed, seed is two to two and a half. A series A can be, you know, between seven and 10. Um, and then a series B, between 15 and 20 to 25. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are you guys, you, you will never follow on and invest we in always, later on. You always follow mm-hmm. on. We okay. always follow on. Okay. So, so that 50, means investing in the round yeah, after. Yeah, but 50% yeah. of yeah. our fund is okay. actually allocated to Got enable it. us to follow Which on. Which is attractive both to you so that you can continue to retain to some own, of yeah, the value yeah, that the you have, have already created and also to, the, uh, to your founders who want to know that you're in it for yes, the long run and that absolutely. you'll help them get to that next stage. That's right. Okay. Um, how is valuation determined? So, <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's a very, I mean, you know. I think uh, that's yeah. pretty. I want to yeah. tell a really good story from our fundraising journey from um, about this, which is that we were talking to um, uh, someone who was sort of like a, in, well, no, she was a formal advisor to us, Divya Gugnani, and we were asking her for tips on fundraising. We were just in the thick of it, and we said, you know, so people are really struggling with this yeah. question. How do you determine yeah. valuation? Mm-hmm. And and we'd had people say to us, like, well, what kind of evaluation are you looking for? And we said, Divya, how do how are we supposed to answer that question? And she said, you look them straight in the eye and you say, why don't you make us an offer and we'll let the market decide? And I was like, yep, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a great answer. Yeah. For, I felt uh, like it. For it was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we, that's what we tell our yeah. founders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're well, in the position also of determining valuation. Right. Right. But we're also in the position of giving our founders advice. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 So yeah. we see both sides of it. And yeah. I think, you know, Typically, the way to think about it as an entrepreneur is really at, particularly at the seed stage, how much do you want to give up of your yeah. company? Yeah. And number two, how much money do you need to get to the next milestone? Mm-hmm. So those two factors, I would say, play, you know, a, a pretty key role. But you know, I think at the end of the day, valuation is it's a lot of art. Um, it's a lot, a lot of art, of, and you're investing pre-launch. Yeah. Investing right? is determined by the market, right? Yeah. And the yeah. market is. And liquid, and it's um, comprised of a small set of individuals that who who make or or funds who make the market, quote unquote. Right. And so that's I think that's the best answer that as an entrepreneur, what as an entrepreneur you can give, which is, listen, um, we want to work with the best people, right? And we uh, we believe that the market will set what is a fair valuation. 
And that way, I mean, it, it usually happens that way. Yeah. The market will set what is a fair valuation. And oftentimes founders who go out with high expectations will realize that they need to come down a little bit lower. And founders who go out with a little uh, of a lower expectation will see that the market is, is actually pricing them up. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you guys so much yeah. for coming on today. This was so interesting. It was a nice refresher course for us. <laughs> yeah. I think we've tried to bury so much. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, enough PTSD so, that it like yeah. feels. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, it it probably is obvious to anyone listening to you guys, but when we were fundraising, we were not meeting with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And sure. we did spend here so often like, oh, this is interesting. Like, let me go back and ask my wife what she thinks about it. And let yeah. me ask my, you know, my sister. I'll show my daughter. With her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you are just at such a disadvantage to not mm-hmm. have the person sitting across the table be able to yeah. connect with the business. Yeah. Um, and if that, and if, and if your business is female focused and you're meeting with all men, you're just, you're at a much, uh, you're at a disadvantage. How can they so, understand yeah. the market in the same way? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, ultimately yeah. these investors are signing up for a 10 year ride. Yeah. And so if you're only making a couple of bets a year, you're going to invest in companies that you understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's really the thing. And I mean, about. I think what you guys got it is so much of this is about just intuition and sort of emotional responses to things and an understanding of an experience. Yeah. And so, yeah, thank you guys for doing what yeah. you do. Thanks and thank you for us. coming on. This is yeah. really great. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. And hey, leave us a review. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter and like our Facebook page. If you have ideas or requests for the show, email them to a few things at ofakind.com. To advertise on our podcast, that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music is Butterfield East, is performed and written by the Soulful Saints.